This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes. That was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Wild turkeys can be found in most parts of Mississippi and hold an important position in Mississippi's ecosystem. So today we welcome back to the show Adam Butler, Turkey Program Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Throughout the show, we'll talk about the behavior, habitat, and the challenges wild turkeys face in a rapidly changing environment. Dr. Major will be on hand ready for pet questions, and Libby always likes to hear about your encounters with nature. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. And if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats every Saturday mornings at 6. So, uh, good morning, Libby. We got. I know that you told me you had a long list of uh, events to talk about. Actually, we got one uh, forwarded to us from our news department that says that the Central Mississippi Beekeepers Association is holding its annual Beginning Beekeepers Short Course um, on uh, for new and prospective beekeepers Saturday, March 11th on the grounds of the Mississippi Ag and Forestry Museum in the Forestry Auditorium, and the Ag Museum is located in Jackson. And so. that was on my list, too. Oh, all right. Yes, well, very good. that's a good one, <laughs> yes. You know, recently I've heard a lot of people say they want to try bees. They're, they're <laughs> difficult more so than they used to be, but, um, I'm, yeah, I'm glad they're having that course. All right. What else do you have for us? Okay. All right. Just talking about, and I've kind of, we divided the day now into a night walk each evening and a day walk in the morning. And I'm going to talk about the night first, though, just because um, I want to encourage people to start doing that. This is a perfect time to do it. And if you wait till about 8.30, I swear there are not nearly as many mosquitoes. You know, the mosquitoes are bad early in the evening, and then they, they're not as bad. So the moon has been absolutely gorgeous, and the stars have been incredible. They're, it's not, I think, not all that hard to learn a little bit about what stars we're seeing. We've been seeing Venus and Jupiter a lot. But um, it, anyway, it's worth getting out for that. And the early fireflies, the treetop flashers are out pretty much all over the state. I've gotten texts from lots of people asking if they're early, and they're a little bit early this year, but not a lot. They're, you know, they're a, they're a real hardy firefly, and they're found all over the country. We think maybe one of the most common species, just based on sightings. They're, they're bright, and they tend to get in the tops of trees, and um, so it's worth getting out and looking for them. And it, it's a Paractamina borealis, if people are interested in looking them up and want to learn more about them. But you can call them a treetop flasher. And while we're out there, we're hearing great horned owls and barred owls hooting a little bit. Um, not as active as they were a month ago, as Java's been noticing, I think, at his place, too. I haven't heard any barn owls this year or... Um, or uh, anything but the barred and great horned. And 
had our first gray tree frog on the front porch, and we've talked about those before. They're, I have mixed feelings. They're, uh, they're, they're cute little things, and I like to hear them out there. But they also, you can get tired of that scream, which is pretty much what they do. They scream, scream, <laughs> scream on the front porch. So I'm hoping they'll find a um, a place to, to settle down that I'll like better. And then another kind of strange, um, I noticed my first orb weaver, and maybe other people have had them, and maybe I just have not been paying attention, but about a dinner plate size orb with a small spider in it. So I'm assuming that she has come out, has recently hatched from her egg case that made it through the winter and she started her orb on the sailboat so I hope that that she's going to be successful and then for my day walks uh, I talked about last week hoping that the Phoebes would come back and nest and I had a Phoebe working a nest for the last three days and it's in a really good place where I'll be able to watch what she's doing without bothering her so I'm hoping that that'll continue and of course they eat orb weavers and they also eat lizards and that's what I've been noticing coming out a lot too is um, uh, really several kinds of lizards are are out a good bit right now and uh, along with the tree frog which I guess the Phoebe could eat if she really wants to and we still have kinglets in our yard, so you, people have got, a, I guess, a little bit more time to see the kinglets. They'll probably go to, gosh, they go as far as Alaska and Canada. Uh, the western ones will be in Alaska, but ours ours may go to Canada to, to nest. And uh, lots of crane flies, moths, butterflies are all out, so it's a good time to get out. I have no hummingbirds yet. I haven't seen one. My um, red buckeye's blooming and the um, red bud's blooming, so I feel like I'm ready for them if they're ready to show up. I haven't put my feeders out. They're sitting clean in the kitchen because I hate to cover them immediately with pollen. That's the other (laughs) thing I know we're all dealing with. I've still got plagues of ladybugs and now the pollen on top of it. In fact, I had a ladybug that was so weighted down with pollen she could hardly walk across <laughs> my, my dining room table the other day. I decided um, I don't know if I want to dust today or, or wait. It's just going to happen again, isn't it? Um, so talking about uh, the fireflies, um, I went on the thing that the um, at the um, craft center last year that's a fun activity. And I remember that uh, they gave us flashlights, but not with kind of regular light. It was sort of, I think, a red light. So uh, is that a tip? Maybe if you're out in the dark, you obviously don't want a a bright source of light, but maybe a red light to help guide you, but that won't disturb the fireflies. that's a very good tip. Right now with these Paractamina, they're very (laughs) bright, and they don't worry as much, but they don't want a a real bright light shining right on them. If you shine it up there where you um, see them, they're going to quit blinking. I've, I've kind of told most people I wouldn't work so hard at, at seeing the firefly. I just enjoy seeing the flash because they're hard to find, and you're going to disturb them and maybe hurt yourself in an attempt to try to go catch them. So it's better to just leave those. Later when the big dippers come along, if kids want to catch those, they'll be easier. They'll be in the, the grassy areas. 
But I, I think even the Firefly would admit that their big thing is the Flash. So it's kind of like, well, don't look at me. Just look at my Flash, you know. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and there, there's a great book. Lynn Faust has been on our show that wrote it. And she uh, really sets out a very interesting way to learn the species by their flashes. And it, it has to do with a little bit of counting of the flashes, but a lot more to deal with what kind of habitat you find it in and where in general, you find it in the tree and how bright they are. So you can, if you're interested, you can, it, there aren't very many firefly books, so you can find it pretty easy online. I think it's fireflies, lightning bugs, and glow worms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I did like the, the, the treetop flashers last year. I mean, I, you, it's, it's fun, especially if you've never, and I had never been before, so it was really eye-opening. But I, I did like the see that the lights skimming across the top of the trees like that, so... Uh, so if you're, again, so it's uh, out in the woods, a dark area. What are some other kind of tips if people are going firefly hunting that they should keep in mind? Um, let's see. Like I say, I would wait and go kind of late. When it's darker, you're going to see more of them, and you won't have the mosquito problem as much. All right. Uh, let's take a phone call. Melanie calling in from Memphis on the air with us. Good morning. Go ahead. It's your turn. Hey, how's everyone doing? Good. What do you have for us today? I want to tell Miss Libby about a couple of things I saw. All right, go ahead. Well, actually, the first thing I didn't see it. I just heard um, a pair of barred owls, and they were doing the "Who cooks for you?" call, like back and forth to each other. Like one would do it, and then the other would respond. It was so cool. Oh yeah. Yeah, and um, then the other thing, actually, this was at night too. <laughs> I went out, and I heard a really loud bug, and I managed to find it. It was about two inches long, and it was, like, making this really loud rattling noise. It looked like a Katie did, but I, they, it wasn't saying Katie did, Katie did, so. It was it, it, but it looked like a Katie did. It may have been, and there more, there's more than one type. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that, that might be what you had. Yeah, yeah it's, it was green. Yeah, it was yeah. like light green and it had the big wings. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that was probably a type of Katie did. Okay. And then the other thing is, I remember your um, story about the mockingbird and the mirrors. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and my brother actually saw a cardinal doing the same thing, like it was sitting on top of a car mirror and then it would fly at the mirror and beat its wings against it and then it would sit to rest on top of the mirror and then do it all over again. <laughs> well, I don't know if you remember the the last episode. We've given Mira Bird a couple of mirrors, and he's very happy with them now. He he doesn't yeah. he doesn't attack the cars anymore. He just <laughs> sits and talks to his mirrors. I don't know if he'll ever find a mate. Though I'm worried about that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, y'all have a good day. All thanks right, uh, Melanie, thanks for the call. Good to hear from you this morning. This is uh, Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Uh, we're going to be visiting throughout the hour with our guest, Adam Butler. To join our conversation with a question or a comment, you can email animals at mpbonline.org. Got a couple of callers on the line, but first do want to welcome Adam into the program. So, Adam, thanks for being back with us again. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and the work that you do with the Wild Turkey Program 
uh, at the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Yeah, I appreciate it. I've been a few years since I've been on, so always glad to be back. Um, I'm a I'm a wildlife biologist with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. I'm from here in Mississippi. Grew up in in Lawrence County, and um, you know was always fascinated by wild things and wild places when I was a little kid. So that led me into this profession, and I've been uh, working for the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks for uh, going on 16 years now. So. Um, it's it's a, a really rewarding career with a lot of uh, interesting days mixed in. Um, what does a wild turkey look like? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm sure most everybody's familiar with the domestic turkey. Mm-hmm. You know, the farm the, the farmyard turkey. Uh, wild turkeys are obviously similar to that, but they um, they're built a little bit differently. They're going to be generally smaller, uh, sleeker, built more for for speed and agility. Uh, because they have a, a lot of things in nature that are after them, a lot of predators and that sort of thing. Uh, and then, you know, whereas the um, your 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 domestic turkeys come in and um, you know commonly come in quite a variety of of color variations, the wild turkey is typically not going to have that. They do have some color variations that that uh, they can uncommonly display, but. Typically, they're going to be, you know, the male turkey is going to be black with sort of iridescent feathering, and the female turkey is going to be more of a brownish drab color uh, because she has to nest on the ground and hide. So um, they they have a lot of similarities to the domestic turkey, but but also some very obvious differences. From previous visits when you came in, the one thing that I thought was interesting that I think a lot of people probably don't realize is, and then you mentioned it, is that these wild turkeys can can really move when they need to. I mean, we think of the turkey sort of gobble, 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 you know, whatever. But these wild turkeys can can put put it on. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're they're you know they're they're track stars when they run, (laughs) Um, and they you know they typically make their living on the ground so they're they're only going to fly as a last resort so typically their um their instincts are to use their legs to avoid predators or avoid disturbance and then you know if they have to they'll fly but they're they're as far as birds go they 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 use their wings very very little relatively speaking to other birds um are they found in most parts of mississippi they are um they're found um throughout the state now they tend to be more common in in sort of the really heavily forested parts of the state so if you get into areas like like say in the delta that are uh, large agricultural landscapes that don't have very many trees, you're, you're not going to see very many turkeys. They're, they're very tied to, um, to, to woods, to forest. And, and actually, that's their, their, uh, their Latin name. The, the subspecies of turkey we have here, the Latin name is uh, Meliagris gallipavo silvestris. And the silvestris part of that essentially in Latin means fowl of the forest. So they're uh, even the the earliest uh, explorers and people that were documenting turkeys, you know, recognize that they're heavily tied to forested habitats. Does that kind of fit in with the fact that they're a, a prey for a lot of different things? And so, I guess camouflage is an important part of their existence. Yeah, well, especially for the females. So the the males really don't have much of a role at all in in raising the young. So it's up to the females to do that. So they have to be very camouflaged. They nest on the ground. They they're they're they they build. Um, really simple nest that's not, not basically just a depression in the leaves and so they have to remain on that nest for a, about 28 straight days now they they do get up to go feed and things like that periodically during the day but they're going to have to remain on that nest for about 28 straight days day and night and so camouflage is really critical to the to the females now the males 
kind of a different story. They uh, they're big and showy and they display and and this is you know we're getting into the breeding season for them. So people probably are going to see you know maybe driving down the road, look out into a pasture or edge of a woodline or something like that. They may see a male turkey you know puffed up and strutting and showing itself off to attract a mate. And so they're they're very different. They're they're a lot more outgoing and and, and like I said, their coloration can be very iridescent. So in the in the right light, it may turn from a, a black to a red or a green or an orangish hue, depending on how the lights strike in their feathers. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, visiting today with Adam Butler, the Turkey Program Coordinator for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. We do have some callers on the line. Let's start again in Hernando. Don has called in today. Good morning, Don. It's your turn, and you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. I was going to ask a question about uh, owls. My wife and I were out planting some trees the other morning around 10 o'clock, and we have a lot of hawks in this area, and uh, the hawks were real active that morning and stuff. But then all of a sudden, we heard uh, our first owl of the season, and I was just wondering, what are the owls up to this time of year? Like I said, this was like 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay. And, yeah, he was defending his territory probably. There were because the hawks were flying up in the trees, and then right after these two hawks flew up into the trees— we have a big stand of trees around a, a pond, and then we have a bunch of a lot of older trees in this low area below the pond, and uh, that the hawk, I mean that the uh, owls have been in the past have visited, but uh, like I said this morning, the owls, I mean the uh, hawks were real active. Then all of a sudden, we heard the owl call, and so we were just wondering what. You know, what's going on this time of year with the owls? Yeah, he may be saying stay away. Um, owls, now let's see, what part of the state are you in? They, they've, We're they, in the north north part, you know, uh, okay. in Hernando, which is just south of Memphis. Yeah, there could be, eggs could have hatched. They're probably sitting on eggs, if, but it's possible that some have hatched. Uh, owls get a pretty early start on nesting. It takes longer to raise those babies, so they they need the summer to to be with them and teach them how to eat and how to be an owl. So my guess is they're they're made. He's this owl's probably mated and uh, gotten a nest going and some eggs going. If if none have hatched yet, so he's being protective of his area. And if I guess if. You know, I don't know how predation would go. If it was a barred owl, they're a little bit smaller. A great horned owl, I don't think a hawk is going to mess with at all. And I kind of doubt that a hawk would would have any problem, you know, with a barred owl. They'd leave each other alone. But still, they're going to call out and say, I'm here. All right, Don, thanks for your call. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Next, off to uh, Lena we go. Charlie is on the line. Go ahead, Charlie. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Morning. I just had a little uh, night sky viewing tidbit to add to Libby's. It's not natural, but it's still pretty cool, and that's the International Space Station. Oh, yeah. Um, If you go to a website called spotthestation.com, you can put in your email address and your location, and they will send you your email to tell you um, when it's flying over your good part of the world and what time and what direction it's coming from and and how long it's going to be visible. And uh, it's really neat to see. So that was spotthestation.com? Is that what you said, uh, Charlie? Yes, sir. 
All right. Very good. Thanks for the call and the tip. So, yeah, if yeah. you want to check out the International Space Station up in the night sky, spotthestation.com is where you would go. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. So, uh, Adam, we're, uh, again, we're visiting with Adam Butler, Turkey Program Coordinator for MDWFP here on Creature Comforts. Uh, last week, we talked with uh, Dr. Jim Watson, the state veterinarian, about bird flu. Uh, is the flu affecting the, the wild turkey population? That's a, that's a very good question. Um, it could, but it's probably not. Uh, right now, and, and, you, and you may have spoken with uh, about this with Dr. Watson, but the, the vast majority of the cases of bird flu that we're getting, and we've gotten a lot here in Mississippi, uh, have been waterfowl-related. And primarily, even within waterfowl, it, it seems like different species have different susceptibility. So the vast, vast majority of the cases that we've seen have been uh, in, within geese, particularly snow geese. Um, and actually, it's even it's even worse than that. It's it's uh, more specific than that. I mean, it, it's usually the uh, the immature snow geese. Uh, if you look across the uh, other taxonomy, uh, kind of the second most common group of birds that are getting it are raptors. So uh, that could be hawks and owls. That could be uh, bald eagles. We've seen a number of those, uh, and it could be vultures and, and things like that. And they're probably uh, getting it secondarily. So they're they're you know maybe scavenging on uh, a um, a dead goose or something like that, and then that's how they're picking it up. But they seem to be very, very sensitive to it. Um, birds like turkeys can get it, and, and uh, nationally uh, there have been a few cases of wild turkeys. Um, primarily, uh, I think the cases that, that have been recognized so far come from Montana and Wyoming, if I'm not mistaken. So there's just a small handful of cases of wild turkeys nationally. We've not seen any here. And if you look at, again, the distribution of, of the species that are getting uh, bird flu, it is by far dominated by waterfowl. About two-thirds of all the species that are showing up are waterfowl. Then about another uh, another 20% or so are going to be raptors. And then the, 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 the rest are, you know, a very small proportion. So, uh, so let's uh, talk turkey hunting season. Are mm-hmm. we in turkey hunting season? Um, we're about to be. So our, we have a youth season. We have a week-long youth season here in Mississippi that's for uh, uh, kids age 15 and under. That opened yesterday. Uh, our regular uh, turkey hunting season begins uh, next week on March the 15th, and they are uh, one of the more popular game species here in the state. Uh, if you look at you know the total amount of man days and things like that that, that go into the pursuit, it's it's usually going to be you know right behind white-tailed deer in popularity. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, turkey hunters tend to be, um, oftentimes tend to be very, uh, passionate and, 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 and really, um, almost eccentric when it comes to turkey hunting. It, it's kind of known for that. So you got a lot of people that are, uh, really counting down the days till March 15th next week. So if you ask a hunter, what it is, are, are wild turkeys one of the more challenging prey to hunt? Um, I, yeah, I think you would probably get that response. And part of the reason is because it, it, um, the, the way you go about it is, is a little different, you know, with, with, with deer hunting, uh, oftentimes, you know, deer hunter is going to kind of just sit in one place and, and, and wait for the deer to come by. But with turkey hunting, it's more active where the, the, the turkey is calling, you're calling to the turkey and you're trying to convince him that you're another turkey. So, um, 
you know that 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 interaction makes it uh, something that a lot of people get you know really obsessed about because uh, as you would imagine uh, it it takes a, a a pretty big learning curve to sort of learn their language and be able to speak it fluently with the actual wild turkey and uh, anything that takes a, a long time to to really become efficient at is going to be rewarding and that's that's ultimately you know I think why people are are very uh, passionate and, and obsessive about it. Well, that's interesting because I wouldn't have thought about that. But if you have a, a, a thing that makes a turkey call, you can't just blow it. In a, I mean, you have to figure out what sort of call to make oh, to yeah, get some absolutely. sort of reaction. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a number of different the, – the calls themselves, the the, the, the the gadgets that make the sound, there's a lot of different types of those. Some of them you, you put in your mouth, and it's basically like a reed that you're blowing across. Some of them are uh, using friction that you're, you're, you're striking uh, um, either the side of a, a wooden box or, or – um, a slate, slate piece of slate or piece of ga- glass or something like that, uh, and so you know it takes a while to just to be able to make the sounds properly. But then it takes, in, in a lot of cases, years to really understand the bird's language and understand what you're trying to tell the bird and what he's trying to tell you. It, but it's 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 just like learning a human language. You know, you got to kind of understand that this means this and this means that, and and it takes a while to do that. That was that was the wild turkey, probably the female wild turkey, and that was that. What she was doing right then was um, some some people call that kind of the lost call. So she was it, basically she was saying, "Hey, where'd everybody go?" That's <laughs> what she was trying to get across. She was saying, "I'm I'm here, and I don't know where everybody went, but where where are you guys?" <laughs> Sounded it's almost like someone was choking. That was an interesting uh, call there. So yeah, and do they so? I guess that brings up the question. So they like to stay together. I take it. Yeah, they're, so the yeah, they're they're um, you know most of the year they're a really gregarious bird, particularly the females. They usually stay in in larger flocks, and then um, you know here in about a month or or, or so they're going to start nesting, and the females become really secretive when they do that. So they the females will go off and be by themselves to nest, but most of the year they're going to stay in groups. Now, just like with with people, the males they don't really care <laughs> as much. They uh, they associate in groups, but if the group breaks up, they're not in a hurry to get back together with their buddies. They they're just fine being solitary. But the females typically like to stay in bigger groups together. As promised, we'll go back to the phone lines. Uh, Gabby has called in from Sandy Hook today. Good morning, Gabby. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Morning. Um, we've over the past couple of months. There's been several flocks of the wild turkeys, and it's just awesome to see them. But I'm curious to know, you said when they're, when they're nesting that they're on the ground, the females. But when they're not nesting and the males, do they roost in a tree? Yep. Yes, ma'am. They, so every night they're going to, if they're not nesting and if they don't have young that are so small that they can't fly, they're going to fly up into a tree and spend the night there. And that's... Um, Primarily to avoid predators, so you can imagine there's a lot of nocturnal predators that are uh, would be an issue if you were sleeping on the ground. And if you can fly up in a tree, you avoid all of that. So that's that's what they normally do. But but like I said, they they don't nest in trees. They nest directly on the ground. So when the female is doing that, she is extremely vulnerable. And most of the um, most of the losses that the turkeys have throughout the year. To natural predators are going to come during that time period. So, so hens, um, the females, 
um, almost half of them are going to be going to going to die every year from from natural events like predators and things like that. Um, and the vast majority of that happens during the springtime. So it is a raising, uh, laying the, the, the nest and raising the young is a very, very dangerous time for the female turkey. And, and most of their losses are going to come during that period. All right, do, go ahead. Do the, does the tom turkey have a, a, a big comb? Because we didn't witness any of the turkeys with a big comb. You mean like a, like a chicken, like a rooster? Yes, sir. Like, like uh, no, they don't. Not like, exactly like that. They do have, um, they do have a little uh, a dangly piece of flesh that is right above their beak called a snood, and that that um, when they're uh, sort of excited, it 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 protrudes out a little bit down, and like when they're strutting for the hens and everything. Uh, so when they're showing off for the females, that uh, that snood sort of engorges with blood and sort of dangles down a little bit the same way a comb would on a rooster chicken uh and it's it's actually there's been some research that's shown the same you know just like with with chickens that's the females are 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 kind of looking at that and it's really interesting the um that piece of dangly flesh the snood is a really good indicator to the females on how many parasites the males have and so there's been some really interesting science that shows uh, and as done done here in in Mississippi by a, a, a gentleman, Dr. Buckholz up at Ole Miss, that was able to show that um, the the female turkeys are largely selecting their mates based on the the amount of gut worms the males have. They do not want a, a male who is laden with parasites to father their young, and so they're looking at all of these uh, secondary sexual characteristics that are indicative of how healthy he is from a standpoint of how many parasites he has. And, and interestingly enough, that dangly piece of flesh that right above their beak, the snood, the length of that is a good indicator of that. So if he has a lot of um, intestinal worms that are sort of sucking blood from his circulatory system, he's not going to, he's not, that, that snood is not going to be as, as uh, protrusive, I guess you could say. And so the females recognize that. And so they key in on that and they say, oh, well, you, you're you're not a, a very healthy tom turkey. You got a lot of gut worms, and I'm not that very interested in you. Uh, so it's it's uh, there's a lot going on in the in the in the turkey in the turkey dating scene. <laughs> it's pretty neat. <laughs> All right, uh, Gabby, thanks for your call. So the big snood is the way to go. That's what we're learning <laughs> yeah, this yeah. morning. <laughs> it's even it's even neater than that. So the um, not only is that like indicative of the gut parasite, um, their feather. So most birds. Uh, can see um, at, at different points in the light spectrum than humans can. So, so birds tend to be able to see um, ultraviolet light a little bit better than we can. And uh, they've been able to show that the same thing is indicative of, um, of gut parasites in Turkey. So if you, they, they actually uh, give a little bit different reflective value uh, uh, under UV light if they... Um, have fewer gut parasites and so the thought is that that birds because they can see in that that part of the spectrum better than we can um they're picking up on that they're picking up on some of that that reflectance and that's indicative to them that oh this is a this is a male that's really healthy and really fit therefore you know i'd I'd, I'd like to choose him as a mate versus this guy over here who's clearly got a bunch of gut worms i don't want him (laughs) and you know we were talking before we came on air and i think libby said it is humans tend to really underestimate 
intelligence and things of other creatures. And we're, I mean, we talked about the different calls that the turkeys make and now the kind of be able to judge up your possible mate. That's the, these are pretty fascinating uh, creatures. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. And, um, turkeys are, they're, they're an interesting subject on that. Like just kind of studying, um, turkeys and the whole, that whole family, the, the galliforms, they, they do a lot of, um, different things with mate selection and all that that has a lot of people who are interested in like evolutionary biology to to look at why they choose the things they do uh or why why their certain birds are being chosen over other birds and and so they kind of make an interesting um subject to study bigger picture questions about you know the nature of things back to the phone lines we go shelly has called in shelly you're on the air with us go ahead okay um i was going to my daughter's um, wedding something. Anyway, I was getting off the interstate down, I think it was Minge Avenue off of I-10, and I uh, was pulling into the Love gas station that I think is there. Anyway, um, I saw three turkeys across the way, and they just, it was so interesting because they were just not in any way afraid of people, which kind of made me wonder. But they were definitely wild turkeys. They were pretty much all brown. I don't think I saw a male because um, I, I would have noticed the darker color, I believe. <laughs> Who knows? But I, and I really enjoy what you're saying about how animals um, have a lot more intelligence than, than uh, people have been known to give them. Because when I was young, I could talk to a cat. And I knew they were talking. I mean, you know, you knew it, it was the language there because you would get a different response for different things. And uh, but I really love seeing those turkeys. That was so exciting. Right, you're right, Shelley. I have a cat, and it, it, yeah, he he means different things. He says different things. So <laughs> it is interesting the language of some of these animals. And appreciate your calling in to give that uh, turkey sighting uh, report. Uh, so, Adam, we had talked a little bit about uh, turkey hunting season that's uh, about to start. Are there um, limits to how many turkeys someone can hunt or take? Sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's a statewide limit um, that uh, of, of three uh, per hunter, and um, and it's even more for, for for most hunters. If you're over the age of 16, uh, we the state essentially limits you to 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 the adult males. So and that and that's done purposely because the like I said, the females uh, they're the, they're the ones that are doing all the the raising of the young and laying the nest. And so uh, from a population standpoint, the males. Um, they're not nearly as important to the sustainability of that population as the females. Uh, you know, they're re- removing males from the population does not have the same consequences long term to the trajectory of the population that removing females will do. So because of that, you, there's restrictions on what can be taken, you know, which individuals can be taken. And that's done in a, in a way to ensure that uh, we're not harming the population when we do that. And uh, are there reporting rules about uh, turkey harvesting? Yeah, there are. Um, so uh, a few years ago, uh, we, the Department of Wildlife, Fishers, and Parks, and our commission uh, instated a rule where hunters have to report their turkey when they when they take one. And um, right now, that's really the only uh, major game species where that's the case for in Mississippi. So we have a we have a phone app that hunters can utilize. And and we did that so that we can have more information on the harvest, how it's distributed, how it's distributed throughout the season and throughout the state so that we can have a better handle on what's going on with the population. So when it comes to Mississippi, do we have a healthy uh, wild turkey population? 
Um, yes and no. So there's a lot of concerns uh, about turkeys uh, kind of around the country right now. Um, you know, if you went back a century in time, we almost lost turkeys. Uh, so the, we've, we came very close to them um, being completely extirpated across a lot of the, a lot of the United States. And um, efforts from a lot of conservationists and, and, and state wildlife agencies like whom I work for essentially restored the bird throughout the the majority of the the middle part of the 20th century and for decades we saw you know really rapidly expanding growing populations well in the last 15 to 20 years uh some of that growth has kind of stopped and in some areas there's a lot of indications that the populations may not be doing quite as well as they did just a couple of decades ago and uh so there's a lot of questions about that now our um our population here in Mississippi has been relatively stable over the last, say, 15 to 20 years, but it's probably not quite on par where it was maybe uh, 30 years ago, if you go back in time. Um, and there's a lot of questions as to why, you know, and, and we have to talk about things like, like habitat and, you know, the, the, way, uh, the way Mississippians use the land has an effect on the other inhabitants of the land. And turkeys are not exempt from that. So they, they, they do better in certain conditions and certain habitats than in others. And, uh, you know, a big part of my job and our efforts at the Department of Wildlife Fisheries is try to promote the things that, um, that, that are good wildlife habitat that provide, you know, good, uh, good places for all the, the, the creatures that all of our state uh, citizens love to, to live and persist in. Uh, we got about uh, eight minutes left. If you have a question or comment, you can email animals at mpbonline.org. So, Adam, we had a caller that reminded us uh, that it was Ben Franklin who wanted the wild turkey to be the state of the uh, national bird as opposed to the the bald eagle. And, you know, I think uh, to me, if you hear the story and don't realize wild turkey, because, again, we've talked about how different Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving turkeys are, domestic turkeys to the wild turkey, Mm -hmm. because a domestic turkey, nah, I don't know if that really stirs, you know, whatever. But right. I, I could get behind the wild turkey right. as a national bird. There, there's a lot of um, there, there, there's a lot of questions whether whether uh, Ben Franklin really meant that or whether he was saying that in jest <laughs> back then. But yeah, you're right. You know, and interestingly, I mean, the domestic turkey we have does come from from wild turkeys, uh, and it, it actually it's b- pretty sure we're pretty sure that it came from a now extinct subspecies that lived in Mexico. So when the very first um, Spanish explorers came over. Uh, they noticed uh, the, the the native peoples in that part of Central America had had these uh, turkeys already domesticated, and they thought, "Oh wow, these things are pretty pretty good to eat. And this is a good <laughs> pretty good thing they've got going here." And they took some of those back uh, to Europe, and then you know over several centuries, the different domestic varieties you know emerged and all of that. But uh, it's 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 pretty well believed that the domestic turkey we have is, it ultimately came from a now extinct subspecies in Mexico. We've got another caller on the line. So now we'll say good morning to Ronnie, who called in from North Mississippi. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Uh, just a question about license. At what age do you actually stop, and what are you allowed to hunt and fish after after the age of 65, I think. Sure. Uh, um, a license. Right. If you're, and, and he can explain it all. I was just wanted to find out, and I'm going to hang up and let y'all talk about it. All right. Sure. If you're uh, over 
if you're 65 or older in Mississippi, the the state exempts you from having to have a hunting license. So you're uh, you you have aged out, and you can you can now go hunting free of charge. You don't have to to, to buy a license. Now we do. Uh, we do advocate we have a, a senior exempt license that you can voluntarily purchase, and we advocate doing that because uh, a great deal of the funding that we get for all of our conservation activities is coming from hunting license sales or is is calculated based on hunting license sales in Mississippi. So we, we, we uh, benefit from a, a large pot of federal money called, from the Pittman-Robertson Act, and uh, each state gets a certain allotment of this big, huge pie at the federal level to do conservation work. And our allotment, part of the formula that decides what our allotment is, is how many hunters we have in the state. So if you, uh, even though you may be exempt, if you're willing to go purchase that uh, senior exempt license, and I, f- I forget off the top of my head what it is. I think it's only it's, $5. Yeah, but, that's what I was, um, a retired person I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, it's only $5. Yeah, so, what you're doing is not giving them much revenue on this end, but you're being you're making right. it able to pull down that federal right. money. Right, it, it allows us to it allows us to count you as a as a person in that in that uh, formula. So that's uh good that that's the story. Yeah. Which I think is a great system because it's kind of like okay, you're doing this and be, and you're going to benefit from it, but you know by by giving us that that, that larger piece of that pie. So I always like to have the, that reminder when we talk about hunting licenses on the show. Uh, we've got another caller, probably the last one for the hour. So we'll say good morning to Mike in Hernando. Mike, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning, you guys. I want to add a little bit of levity to your program and and give you guys something to look for that you will absolutely love. You mentioned Ben Franklin wanting the turkey as our national symbol. Uh, in the 1950s, Stan Freeberg was an advertising company in New York. He, which, by the way, by the way designed the NBC peacock that you used to see on the air that would unfold his tail based on the turkey. And he, pres- he made a recording called Stan Freeberg Presents the United States of America. It's our history from a comedy standpoint. And one of the segments is the cook and his assistant have prepared the first Thanksgiving meal, and the cook is going berserk because he cooked the turkey instead of the eagle. <laughs> and so everybody's going nuts. Are you cooked our national bird? <laughs> and it gets to the point where they say, well, he's kind of scrawny in it. And he says, yeah, I think I'll put some old stuffing in it. Well, anyway, <laughs> if you can find it online, it's Stan Freebird Presents the United States of America. It is absolutely hilarious. All right, Mike. I've I've heard that as well, and yeah, Stan Freeberg. That's so that's a good one uh, that you might could uh, look up online and find out about. So, appreciate your call, uh, Adam. What is the National Wild Turkey Federation? Uh, they're a nonprofit uh, organization that advocates for the conservation of, of wild turkey. So, there's a number of different uh, conservation groups out there. Uh, you know that 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 advocate for all sorts of different special interests and in, in the National Wild Turkey Federation uh, is the one that is, is sort of specifically focused on turkeys. But they'll be very quick to tell you uh, they advocate for um, the management of habitats that benefit turkeys, but there is a whole host of other species that benefit from that management. That that managing for turkeys is not only good for turkeys and turkey hunters, it's also good for a whole uh, a whole suite of other species that are going to depend on the same sorts of habitats. So even though you know turkeys are a game species we like to hunt, their management is propping up you know the sustainability of a whole lot of other species. 
And that's that whole ecosystem we always talk about, that it's not just one creature out there. There's a number of them, and they're all interrelated. Yep. Um, so we talked about the hunting license and how that can kind of help with uh, conservation efforts. Are, are there some other things that a person could do to help turkey conservation? Yeah, I would say um, if you know if anyone listening has some property or is interested in um, managing for for turkeys or for any any wildlife species, you know one of the things that's most enjoyable about my job and I'm actually going to get to do it this afternoon is going out and meeting with property owners to take a look at their place, take a look at the you know what what land they have and and hear their objectives, what they're interested in, uh, and then you know talk about the things that they make and do, the different management actions that they make and do uh, to enhance their land for, you know, be it wild turkeys or white-tailed deer or, uh, you know, songbirds in some cases or, you know, any number of things that that may be of interest to them. We have uh, a a number of people on our staff that that is what they do every single day is meet with the citizens of Mississippi to help make Mississippi better for wildlife. And uh, is there information on wild turkeys on your website? Yep, sure is. Uh, www.mdwfp.com, and then you put backslash turkey in that. It'll take you to our uh, homepage that has a whole lot of information about wild turkeys. All right, that's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio with funding provided by listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, go to creaturecomforts.mpbonline.org. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener was Jay White. So for Libby Hartfield and our guest Adam Butler, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned. Up next, it's AutoCorrect. We're back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.